Our scripture lesson for this Sunday, a gospel lesson from the gospel according to John chapter 19, beginning with verse 25. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here's your son. Then he said to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, choir, for beautiful music this morning. And uh, thank you, Charles, for reading our scripture. Thank you, Charles, um, for everything. Charles has been incredibly kind to me and to my fiance Adair and has been nothing but welcoming. And I greatly appreciate the opportunity to preach this morning. Thank you, Charles. We are in the midst of a series called Were You There? And we've been looking at the final moments of Jesus from different perspectives. Now today I haven't written a letter, but we will be looking at a specific incident that John witnessed and later wrote down moments before Jesus breathed his last in his greatest moment of crisis. <laughs> you can learn a lot about someone in a crisis, can't you? <laughs> you can learn a lot about who a person really is when times get hard. Some close off, others open up. Some cling tighter, others hold on loosely. Some lash out, others press the mute button. And some people fend for themselves, while others look to their neighbor first. On the day I got the call that I was moving from Northbrook to Noonan, I was in the midst of calling Adair's father to ask if I could eat a meal with them so that I could maybe marry their daughter. I think that's actually how I worded it. <laughs> but instead, I got a call from two district superintendents in a day with confirmation that I was moving mid-year and moving really soon. For those of you who don't know, a call from a district superintendent makes you nervous too, makes you sweat a little bit. Needless to say... It felt kind of like a crisis, or at least that's what my heartbeat told me, because you have all these plans in your mind that you, have, you, you hold loosely, but you still hold of what the future will look like, of what engagement is going to be, where, where we'll live, etc. And with a phone call, it all changes. And that's okay. Change happens. But it still changes your blood pressure a little bit. So there I was in crisis mode, and my first reaction was this, I have to call a dare. Now, I've been told by many of you that I've learned early and that this has better be my first reaction to anything and everything from here on out. Some of you have already seen this. When asking if we can get lunch or meat for coffee, I, my first reaction is, well, I've got to call Adair first. Now, Adair is a therapist, which is good for me. And she was in a meeting with a client, and I called her three times. Later, she told me when she looked at her phone, she saw she'd missed my call three times. She knew I either had COVID or that I was moving. And we finally talked that evening. I told her what was going on. And she listened in her first reaction. Adair, in crisis mode, was calm. It was kindness. And it was this. Are you okay? So we got in the car immediately and drove to Noonan. That night, it was 8.30 on a Thursday night. We drove into town. I parked the car by the courthouse, and we walked around. 
And the Christmas decorations were out, all the lights on the trees and everything. And as we walked, Adair said, what do you think? And, of course, I didn't really want to like anything about Noonan at that point. So I said, this is the worst. I can't stand any of it. It's the worst. And Adair said, well, I think it's pretty cute. <laughs> and I think it's a nice town. And we drove back that evening, and I was, I was still in shock. But Adair, she just wanted to listen. She just wanted to help me breathe, and her countenance and care that evening were focused less on herself and more on another. And we see something very similar in the text for today. Jesus has been through the trial. (laughs) He's made the trek to the hill. His feet and hands have been nailed to pieces of wood. He's been hoisted up. They've nailed the sign above his head, and some have even gambled for his clothing. Also, did I mention that his friends are gone? (laughs) They left him. Their first reaction in crisis mode was what? To run, to get out, to flee, to deny, to protect themselves. And I get it. If a friend of mine is convicted by the Roman government for insurrection, I don't want to be too close. I don't want to be up there with them. So everyone is deserted, except for a handful. A few Marys and a John. Sounds like a band name. They stick by his side. They don't care. Their first reaction to trouble never involved running. Rather, their reaction to a friend and a son in trouble was to be as close as possible so that this person, this person who had changed their lives and the lives of so many didn't have to go through this alone. Their reaction in a time of crisis had less to do with self and more to do with another. And Jesus, in the midst of the greatest crisis anyone can experience, On a cross, watching death edge ever closer, he notices his mother and his friends nearby. These folks who refused to run, who refused to leave his side. I actually don't know if he saw the other Marys, but we're told that he at least saw his mother and his friend John. And what does he say to them? He says to his mom, woman, here is your son. And to John, here is is your mother. What is he doing? What's going on here? Well, in Jesus' final moments, filled with immense grief and distress and unspeakable pain and crisis, he sees those standing at the foot of the cross, the few who have not fled, the few who have remained, and he knows. He knows, culturally, what a widow like his mother might face without him. He knows that life for those left after his death in the period of waiting is going to be painful. It's going to be lonely. It's going to be sad. He knows that life is about to be difficult for these friends. They will miss him and they will need each other. So he makes sure they will not experience grief alone. William Barclay says, to the end of the day, even on the cross, Jesus was thinking more of the sorrows of others than of his own. Jesus' gut reaction to the events around him was never to save himself, it was to save others. And in his loneliness on the cross, his first reaction was to prevent loneliness in others. Woman, here is your son, John, here is your mother. One of my mentors 
once told me that the call to make disciples for the transformation of the world is, in its simplest form, a call to prevent loneliness and to remind people that they belong. And in Jesus' last moments on the cross, he isn't focused on himself. He continues to care for others, and he reminds those closest to him that they are not alone, that they indeed belong to each other and to something greater. That was... It was generally Jesus' gut reaction, wasn't it? He sought, to, he sought to erase the loneliness of the outsider and make sure people knew they belonged somewhere to the lepers, the lame, the meek, the outcast, the lost. You aren't meant to be alone. You aren't meant to be cast out. You belong somewhere. And in crisis, the message remained the same from his best to his worst day. Jesus' first concern was not for self, but for the other, to eliminate estrangement and loneliness and to give people this simple truth. You belong. It reminds me of my Uncle Ben. My great uncle's name was Ben Alexander. Ben was married into my family through my Aunt Betty. Betty and Ben found each other later in life and both entered into their second marriage when they fell in love. Betty was strong and fierce and Ben was gentle and quiet. Both were incredibly smart and well-read, and, and both were super, super Methodist. Betty, a conference layperson, and Ben, a Methodist minister. And I don't know if you know someone like this, but my Uncle Ben was the kind of man that John Wesley talked about in that he was perfected in love. Do you know that term? Do you know this? In Wesleyan theology, we believe that you can become perfected in love in this life. Now, every time I say that, I have to explain it a little bit. To be perfected in love does not mean that you are complete that you are done. What Wesley meant is that you can become so covered in the love of God that your intentions and actions can become completely loving even just for an instant. Love becomes second nature to you. It's your first reaction. Maybe you have someone like that in your life. Maybe you've known someone like that. I knew someone like that. And that was Uncle Ben. A few years back, Aunt Betty was diagnosed with cancer. We went to see her a few times, and every time... There was Ben by her bedside, making sure she was never alone. And soon, after Betty died at her memorial service, the family gathered at the church at Hendersonville United Methodist Church, just north of Nashville. We were, we were in a room behind the sanctuary. And my immediate family, my cousins, grandparents, everybody was back there, and there was this noticeable absence with Betty gone. My father, who is a pastor, was to preside over the service and give a eulogy for my Aunt Betty. So I expected him to have a prayer before we entered the sanctuary, uh, but he didn't. Instead, Uncle Ben, the one who was experiencing the greatest loss of anyone in that moment, the one who was most in crisis, he gathered us together, he asked us to make a circle, and he told us to join our hands together, and he bowed his head, and he began to pray for us. In a moment of grief, losing the person he loved most, his partner in crime and his antidote to loneliness, Ben sought not to be the one comforted, but to be the one who comforts. He sought to make sure no one was left out, that no, no one felt alone and that we knew we belonged somewhere. That was his go-to. His gut reaction, crisis or not, it was not to care for himself, but for those around him, the person in front of him, no matter who it was. 
and his model for ministry was another who in the midst of his deepest pain, in the midst of glaring loss and great grief, sought not to be the one comforted, but rather the one who brings comfort. The one who does away with loneliness and makes sure that there is a real sense of belonging. We are in the midst of a lot of change, aren't we? 2020 has been a year. It's been a hard year for all of us, some more than others. It's been a hard year for churches and for this church as well. And if you're like me, you've likely been in some form of crisis mode a lot of the time. And maybe if you're like me, your reactionary response to things in 2020 and beyond hasn't always been the best. I'm going to be the first to admit that. But this morning I give thanks for the witness of John's gospel, written by one who was there at the cross and saw for himself that even in the darkest moments, the goodness of God can still be shared. Even in the darkest moments, God can still use us to care not for ourselves, but for those around us. Adair and I have already witnessed this church's care for the other. By the way that you've cared for us in simple ways. When I met Christy Rossi a few weeks ago, the first thing she said was, welcome home. And when we knew no one last Sunday at the 11 o'clock service, Kristen and Alan Bell came down and sat with Adair, just so that she wouldn't sit alone. Betsy Connolly took me out on a tour of every single part of Noonan to make sure I could get my bearings. You've already sought to cure a little of our loneliness and bring us a sense of belonging, which demonstrates to me that this congregation knows what it looks like to let love and care be the guiding force. You know what it means to allow concern for the other to be your first reaction, crisis or not. You know what it is to turn over life to God and let God use you to cure loneliness and bring others into a sense of belonging. So, may you be continually reminded that you belong to this church, to this community, and to God. May God keep using us to cure the loneliness and that plagues this world. May God use people that have gone before, people like Uncle Ben, to always inspire and guide us toward a greater connection to the God that draws us all together. May the Spirit of God stir your soul in such a way that every reaction you have, crisis or not, is aimed toward a greater concern for the other rather than yourself. And may you have hope in the knowledge that you have a Savior whose first reaction in the crisis of the cross was care and concern and forgiveness and grace for you and for me. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have shown us what it is to care, to care for and seek out the lost. You have left the 99 to seek the one. And you have sought us, God. You have delivered us. May we be your hands and feet, God. Stir within us. Stir within us deep that we might continue to make disciples, 
to transform this world so that it looks a little bit more like your kingdom every day. God, we give you thanks. Be with us, go with us, guide us. And may we show the world your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.